0: You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. I can play almost that good, all right? (laughs) Uh, So for the kids between the ages of 5 and 10, you are at liberty to go to junior church, all right? And uh, we do have nursery for toddlers and infants. However, we do welcome kids of all ages to stay right in the service with us. We're going to be in the book of Matthew this morning, Matthew chapter number 27. And I want you to imagine with me just a normal day, a very normal day, a standard day, Poor Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, the Jews of his province were stirred up about something which really wasn't the most unusual occurrence to happen. Uh, he was coming in to try a criminal, something he had done, an accused criminal, something he had done many times before. He would come in, do his job, pass his judgment, get on about his day, get on about the rest of his life. And just imagine now, as Pilate walks in, he sees a man standing before him. He does not walk in and say, oh man, what's this guy? No, he comes in, he sees a common guy. He sees what appears to be uh, a poor man. Nothing really, the Bible says there's no beauty or, uh, you know, when we shall see him. It, It wasn't nothing impressive about this man to start with. He just sees a normal man standing here. Little did Pilate know that he was about to make the biggest decision of his life. Little did Pilate know that he was about to make the greatest choice in history as Pilate stood here this day. And in a very real sense, Pilate is very representative of a choice that every person must make at some point in their life a, a, a realization that they come to, and, and we read the question in verse twenty-two of Matthew twenty-seven. Pilate saith unto them, "What shall I what what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? What will I do with Jesus?" And you know, today, that's a question that every one of us have to answer at some point in your life. What will you do with Jesus? Because again, it may not seem like much, again, to Pilate, it was just a normal day when all of a sudden there's a man standing before him that he has to make a choice. And it may not seem to you today like a very important choice or a very important decision. It may just seem like any other thing that you, maybe just almost a nuisance that you have to deal with but you'll have to answer the question, what are you going to do with Jesus today? Now, can you can you imagine with me the irony for a moment? The thing that Pilate does not understand as Pilate stands seemingly in this position of power and authority, and he looks at this man, it seems as if This man Jesus, his fate is in the hands of Pilate. So Pilate is standing there, Jesus standing before him, Pilate judging Jesus. But there's an irony there, isn't there? Because there's coming a day when Pilate will have to stand before Jesus and be judged by Jesus Christ. And the Jesus he sees in that day is going to be very different from the one that he saw on the day that we're reading about today see Pilate was just going about his business doing his duty and you know for some people that's what church is it's a duty it's a nod to god i'll i'll do i'll do my little service this week and go to church and whatever Pilate was just doing his duty and maybe like Pilate today it's easy for you to maybe think that you've got life under control you've got life by the horns you know And you're here today, and this is just an ordinary stop on the way to your next day as you just continue on with your life, just like Pilate. But today, you'll be faced with the question, what will you do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? You're going to have to judge and ask that question for yourself. See, this question, by the way, is a present question. It's a question you need to answer in the now, What shall I do with Jesus? It's a present question. It's a personal question. Yes, I am preaching to everyone here today, but more specifically, I want each individual to think that to themselves and answer that question. What will I do with Jesus? It's a pertinent question. It's a question that really, really matters. And it is a pressing question. In other words, it's not a question that you just kick down the road. It's a a pressing question. Now, as we read in the Scripture here, we we find several voices that are confronting the, uh, the, the governor of Judea, Pilate. And at the very start here, we see as we go through this whole scenario, we see some of the voices that are confronting Pilate because to begin with, look in verse number 18 with me, if you will. The Bible says, for he knew, he knew that for envy they had delivered him. All right? So here he is. They're saying, we want you to crucify this man. We want you to kill this man. But, the, but, but Pilate knew something. He knew. In other words, he had a voice of reason. He knew these people. He knew they had ulterior motives. He examined the Lord Jesus Christ. And he knew that these people were up to something. All right. So it was a reasonable question. He had the voice of reason that said, "Okay, these voices are telling me to do away with Christ. But the voice of reason tells me there may be something more to this." And what I what I submit to you today as far as the voice of reason is concerned, there's a lot of voices today who would try to tell us something about the Lord Jesus Christ that's not true. But I believe today, if you're willing to be reasonable and honest, you will know the voices that speak with ulterior motives against Christ the voices that tell you what you should do with Christ is ignore him or blaspheme him or whatever the case may be. If you'll listen to the voice of reason, you'll know that those voices should be shunned, because Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus Christ stands under the light of scrutiny. He stands under the light of scrutiny. Matter of fact, he has, from the day he stood before Pilate, been scrutinized. Folks, I want you to understand something. Jesus has been scrutinized for the last 2,000 years. And year after year, people, listen, people have risen and people have fallen. And all along the way, for the last 2,000 years, people keep making accusations against Christ. Just like they were this day. People keep on trying to uh, disclaim Him and and discredit Him. (laughs) But you want to know something? He's not been discredited yet. Amen? He still stands. His truth still stands. And therefore, if you would listen to reason, and what I mean to say by that is this. You know, I think of the voice of the atheist today. Those that would say, well, I do not believe that there is a God. I'm an atheist. And quite frankly, atheist actually means no God. You know, ah, theo. It's, it's no God. But the, 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 there's, a, there's a very contradictory principle behind even the word atheist and the title atheist because for one to be claimed to be an atheist they are almost claiming to be god in and of themselves because if you were to take you know and, and perhaps you've seen the the illustration before but if we were just to say that this back wall was everything that could be known this this dark gray area this was this is everything that could be known of all time Of all the universe, all knowledge, everything that has happened from whenever this thing began until the end of it, this is everything that could be known. If you were to be able to come up here and maybe with a marker or something and, 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 and draw a line or a circle around in the midst of all this, how much do you claim to know? Of all there ever has been to know, of all there is to know. I doubt that many of you would come and just take a big uh, rectangle and draw all around it and say, I know it all. Because guess who you would have to be in order to know it all? You'd have to be God. And when you're saying you're an atheist, you're saying, nope, nowhere in anything that could be known, nowhere in all the universe, I can proclaim to you right now, there is no God. It's kind of, it's a contradictory statement, Okay. So then, then perhaps you could get an, an atheist to, to admit that they're an agnostic. Okay, well, maybe I'm not an atheist. I do not know all that there is ever been or all that's in the universe and so forth. So maybe I will acknowledge and admit to being an agnostic. In other words, that there is a higher power, there is some kind of God, uh, but, but, but maybe it's not the one of the Bible and maybe it's not one that you can know and be personal with. But then I got a, I got a question for the agnostic. I'm talking about it's a reasonable question. What will you do with Jesus? Because an agnostic, then you've got to ask the agnostic this question. Okay, what kind of agnostic are you? Are you an honest and sincere agnostic? Are you a truth-seeking agnostic? Or not? Well, well, I would like to consider myself a truth-seeking agnostic. Okay then. So are you willing to study the evidence? And are you willing to study and find out and come to the conclusion that it will bring you if you study the Who this God is, or if there is a God, if there is a Christ. You know what happens to people that go from being an atheist to an agnostic who are sincere and truthful and are willing to study the matter out? They often become evangelists. We know several today that have become evangelists for Christ because if you're an honest agnostic, it's a reasonable question. And what you'll realize is that all these voices that say, oh, no, he's not this, he's not that. As a matter of fact, many of the philosophers admit it themselves. The philosophers who deny the existence of God and claim to be atheists, uh, I believe, was it it Aldous Huxley that said, but many of these philosophers would say something along the lines of, I would admit that there was a God, but if I were to admit that there was a God, basically, I would have to admit that there is an author of morality, That I'll have to stand before one day. And basically they said, I want to live the way I want to live. I want to sleep around. I want to be abusive. I want to do all these things. And I do not want to be accountable to God for that. Therefore, I choose to be an atheist. That's not very sincere, is it? Uh, That's been a little bit dis... but, But I guess he's been honest in that. But that's not reasonable. So there's the voice of reason today that Pilate had to contend with. There's another voice today. Look at verse number 19. The Bible says in verse number 19, When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him. This is Pilate. His wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with this just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. See, Pilate had another voice. It was a voice of a loved one. It was a voice of somebody who cared about him that spoke to him about who Jesus was. Now, I don't know the limit of... I believe that Pilate's wife, her knowledge was limited, but nevertheless, the principle is a loved one. I mean, who among us hasn't had a loved one or somebody that cares about them speak to them about Jesus? See, the voice of reason says, you need to listen and make the right decision here. The voice of a loved one is telling him, you need to listen and make the right decision about who Jesus is. Matter of fact, uh, Pilate had the voice of Jesus Christ himself. He's having a discourse with the Lord of glory. In John 18, 37, and you can look in other places, but he's having a conversation with Christ. If you listen today, you can hear the voice of Jesus. You say, well, I don't hear nothing. Are you Sure. Because if you can hear and listen to the Word of God, you're listening to the words of Christ today. So you've got the voice of Christ Himself that speaks to us. Jesus spoke to Pilate. Pilate heard the very words of Christ. But I want to tell you today, if you will listen to the Word of God, you too will hear the very words of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now there's some opposing voices that begin to come in, some pressures that begin to come in. Notice verse number 20 of Matthew 27. The Bible says, But the chief priests and elders persuaded, I'm sorry, but the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. In Mark 15, verse 15, in Mark, the Bible says, And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. So, in other words, there was the voice of public opinion. The voice of public opinion. He was concerned. See, at heart, Pilate was a politician. And by the way, uh, one of the things that's it's interesting what Christians and Bible believers get accused of, they, pe- people try to say that we're sympathetic toward Pilate. And, and, and they, they question Pilate's demeanor as he is through here. But the thing that they're not taking into account is that he's got the Son of God standing before him. Amen? He's got, he, he's got the Lord speaking to him right now. And uh, we're, we're not trying to justify Pilate as some uh, claim that we do. But he was a politician and he was a man who had to think about the polls. He had to think about public opinion. He had to think about what people would say. And a matter of fact, when you begin to think about this pressure that he had on him, I mean, listen, so because of the pressure from the outside world, the voice of pressure, he was willing to crucify the Lord of glory. Isn't that amazing? Matter of fact, The Bible says in one place, you talk about pressure, I'll I'll bring this up in a moment and tell you the verse, but the fact is, the pressure that he had on him, the public opinion, was also connected with his position. But you know there's a lot of people, there's been people that have sat in church and have come this close to getting saved, but they've been worried about public opinion. They're worried about the voice of public opinion. They're worried about what people would say. What if somebody finds out that in, instead of rejecting Christ, I accept Christ, receive Him as my Savior. I become a Christian. What are people going to say about me? Do you know what? You know another one that, that that's, that's a battle for people. We live in a world of very religious people, in people's religious all over the world. In our part of the world, many people are religious. You know, in in, in, a, in a in a in the world of Christendom. You know, a, a world to where they were baptized into a church. And, and it's got some semblance of, and, and the terminologies and stuff all there. But oftentimes, it's a place where the gospel isn't preached. And a relationship with Jesus Christ isn't preached. And they're taught, you know, well, if, if you get baptized, you know, uh, that'll, that's the first step. It depends on the church here. And maybe that guarantees heaven. Maybe that's just the first step. And you've got a number of more to go through through life. And oftentimes, it involves money. Uh, get being given to the church, right? But what, whatever the case is, we live in a world of religious people. So what happens sometimes is we could have religious people and we've had religious people come into this church. And they don't come in and say, hey, I'm a religious person, it's nice to be here. They say, hey, I'm a Christian and I really love it here. Well, that's wonderful. But are you a Christian in name only or do you know Christ as Savior? So what can happen is there's been times that it can happen to where the gospel is being preached and Jesus is set before you and you begin to realize, wait a second. I've believed in Jesus my whole life. I've believed in the, the death, burial, and resurrection my whole life. But really, my trust has been in the church or my trust has been in my works. I now realize that I need to make a decision for Christ. But then there's a sneaky little thing that can sneak into anybody. So some of you have been there. Most of us have been there. To where you're standing there and you're thinking, well, man, I need to make a decision. I, what will I do with Jesus? I need to turn from my sins and receive Him as my Savior right now today. But then they think to themselves, wait. I think everybody here already thinks I'm a Christian. I think people here already think that I'm a... What, what's pastor going to think if I come and say I need to be saved? In short, if you want to know what I think, uh, I, I could just abbreviate it, abbreviate it by saying, Woo! <laughs> Hallelujah! Amen. Uh, I, I, I can remember, and, and I, I tell it because I, I know I've got permission to tell it. But one of the dear ladies in our church, and uh, that uh, that when she first started coming, she'd actually come as a as a young person. She'd actually come forward in a Bible preaching type of church. Her, her friends had come forward, and she just kind of came down with her friends and whatever. But she had always kind of said that's when I became a Christian, and that's what she told me. And uh, but a, a, as time went on, Jesus began to be presented before her. Jesus stood before her and said, no, I'm not asking you what you're going to do with your friends. And I'm not asking you what you're going to do with religion. What are you going to do with me? Will you believe on me? Will you put your faith and trust in me? And you know, that's what she did. And I'm so glad that she was willing because, uh, matter of fact, I think she, had she already joined the church at that time. I can't remember. But she said, uh, yep, yep, I've been, been saved, been baptized. I said, that's wonderful. But then she come back and said, Pastor, I never really actually made a decision for Christ. It was a religious decision, but it wasn't between me and Christ. It wasn't me calling on the Lord. It was just me going with the crowd or following religion or whatever. Uh, I got saved, she told me. I got saved. And she said, and I need to be baptized. Because, you know, believers' baptism is you are baptized after you follow the Lord. It's Miss Tony. Uh, that's her testimony. But some people get worried about public opinion. What are people going to say? I'll tell you what people are going to say. People are going to rejoice. Amen. We're going to love and rejoice in what the Lord's done in your life. So, but 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 there is the voice of public opinion. Have you ever been there? What what if your buddies find out you're a Christian now? Um, it ain't it something? Us, I just think of guys sometimes. We want to be so tough and so manly, but we get it backwards, don't we? Because what tough and manly ends up being is conforming to the rest of the guys. I'm going to be tough and manly and do however y'all say it's supposed to be. Oh, how do I got to talk to be accepted? Okay, that's what I'll do. What jokes do I got to tell to be accepted? Okay, that's what I'll do. I'm I'm a man. Are you really? Because you really look more like a sheep. That's sticking its chest out, okay? It takes more of a man to say, nah, I'm good. Oh, you're a sissy. Call me what you want to call me. Amen? (laughs) But, But I still believe that real men love Jesus. Amen? And women... And, uh, but it, it takes a man, it takes a woman, it takes a person with heart. And so anyway, there's the voice of, uh, of the crowd, the voice of popular opinion. There's the voice of pride. Now, I don't know if you were just to go around and ask people, what is one of the greatest sins that condemns people to hell? I don't know what people would say. The most biblical answer, honestly, by the way, would be unbelief. That's the answer, unbelief. Uh, and what I mean unbelief, I mean not that of not putting your faith and trust in Christ. See, some people say, well, I haven't done this and I haven't done that. Well, it's not about that. The Bible says, uh, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, Jesus said. So you don't have to actually do anything to be condemned. You were born a sinner. We were born sinners. We're sinners by birth. We're sinners by choice. But here's the point that I'm, I'm trying to make. Uh, pride. How many people will not believe because of pride? Wicked, stinking pride. Pilate was a proud man. In John 19, verse 10, Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin." We have a great deception of perception. A great deception of perception. In other words, Pilate is standing there that day. He's in this big place of pride and authority. And he can do whatever he wants to with Jesus, but he doesn't realize the power he has comes from God. The reason he's in that position. Let me tell you something. The reason you're drawing air right now The reason your heart's still beating is because of God. And and, and you may look at Jesus Christ today and say, well, He's not of any consequence to me. What's that matter to me today? It means everything. And you think that you're something. You think you're in control. But I'm telling you, in one heartbeat. In one heartbeat, it could be shut off. Some people, you you, you know, we know some real self-reliant people, don't we? But I've got to ask that self-reliant person that's been able to do everything for themselves and work for everything they've ever had, and, and have a tough time with the idea of God giving the free gift of self. I'll work for everything I've had. But I do. I ask them that question. I said, "Well, who's?" I said, uh, "When you close your eyes at night, what do you do to keep your heart beating? What do you do to keep breathing?" <laughs> you know, I mean, it's God that's in. That's not you. That's not you. It's the gift of God. So, but he had the voice of pride, a deception of perception, a, a, a deception of control, a perception of control. He had the pressure of position. See, Pilate, he had to think about the fact that, quite honestly, he could lose his job if he did not make the politically correct decision or do the politically correct thing. In John 19, verse 12, the Bible says, "...and from henceforth Pilate sought to release him." But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whoso maketh himself a king, speaketh against Caesar. So now he's being threatened. He's got a good job. He's got a cushy job. But that job, his position, is being threatened now because this man claimed to be a king, and if you don't crucify him, we're going to tell on you. And we're going to tell Caesar that you are in favor of another king. See, today there's people that are afraid that if they give their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ, it may cost them. It may cost them a promotion. It may cost them material goods. There's people, and I I can remember this, I can remember when, when, when the Lord was dealing with my heart about being saved, I realized it was going to cost me something. What do you mean by that? I just simply mean, I come to the realization that the life that I was living, if I turned to Christ, the point is I was turning from that life. And I realized real specifically that that very next weekend, I've often said that I had big party plans on that next weekend, bigger than normal, that I was trying to work out. But here's the thing. I, I remember literally coming to a place to where God was dealing with my heart. What was I going to do with Jesus? I was thinking favorably. I'm thinking, man, this is real. This is reasonable. Jesus is. I'm seeing this for the first time. Jesus really did die for me. Jesus really does. I mean, And I was going that way, but all of a sudden I just came to kind of a, wait a second. It felt like a crossroads. And I'm like, If I make this decision for Christ, if what I say I'm going to do with Christ is receive Him as my Lord and Savior, that means I'm going this direction. My plans were for this direction. But I remember, hallelujah, by the grace of God, I said, you know what? Give me Jesus, amen? I want Jesus. But I knew it was going to cost me something. Uh, you You know, one of the hard things, honestly, was... The realization that it was going to cost me some friends, and I just want to park right here real quick. I thought, man, if I become a Christian, what about my buddies? They're going to make fun of me for going to church. They're going to make fun of me for trying to clean up my life. They're going to make fun. And if you if you're not picking up yet, I'm starting to wonder what kind of friends these are. They're going to make fun of me for not destroying my life anymore. And listen, what I began to realize, number one, I tried to win every one of my friends to Christ. But ultimately, somebody said, well, I want to become a Christian. But if I become a Christian, will I quit having to hang out with my buddies? You want to know what happened with me? I actually did have to quit hanging out with some of them. But there's others that quit hanging out with me. Uh, I can remember... <laughs> It's just funny looking back on things. I can remember being at school because uh, just the way the Lord was working on my heart was so different back then because not all of my habits changed just overnight, you know. And I can remember at school uh, during, during lunch, we would often, uh, you know, either we'd go smoke or we'd go chew or we'd do both. But it would be funny because I, when I got saved, I was still going. And we would just still go over to this part of the courtyard or whatever, and we'd just be over there, you know, chewing and talking it up and whatever and chewing and spitting and whatnot. And, uh, but I'm over there now that I'm a Christian. And I'm like, I'll tell you what, fellas. Man, ain't nothing like knowing Jesus, you know. And, uh, and uh, well, well, what ended up happening is I didn't quit hanging out with those guys. Those guys were like, dude, we ain't coming over here chewing and wanting to talk about Jesus, all right? So they quit wanting to hang around me. You say, oh, preacher, that's awfully sad. Did, did you lose a lot of friends? I guess I lost a few. But son, if I could tell you the ones I gained. If I could tell you the ones I have gained. I mean, I'm talking about friends. I'm talking about people that care about me, love me. But, 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 but you sometimes can come to a realization there's this voice from Pilate saying, man, I'm going to lose this position. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be old, you know, uh, Jesse. I'm not going to be wild man anymore. You know, it's one of my nicknames. I'm not going to be wild man anymore uh, or whatever. I'm going to lose my identity. But I'm telling you, I got a new identity. Amen. And, uh, and I got a new, uh, a new life. I got, a new, I got new friends. But so we see these voices that he had. But let's notice quickly the verdict and we'll be done. Think about this in verse 26 of Matthew 27. The Bible says, Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The verdict. Why did Pilate decide to let Jesus be crucified? It wasn't because it was reasonable. It wasn't because it was right. He listened to the wrong voices. He gave in to the wrong pressure, and he made a decision a verdict he tried to straddle the fence and let's just notice i'm going to give these to you as quick as i can because i want to show you some reactions here that what pilate tried to do with jesus number one he tried to ignore jesus in john 18 31 basically he says okay now what are y'all bringing him for and he's saying, well he claimed to be god and he claimed to be king and they're just like you know what yeah why don't y'all handle this I'm not, I'm going to ignore him. I'm going to let somebody else make the decision in regards to Jesus. In in essence, Pilate was saying, don't bother me with this. He was trying to get someone else to make the decision. He was trying to ignore Jesus Christ. But folks, I want you to understand something today. The reason ignoring Jesus, listen to me, the reason ignoring Jesus is not the option and is not the solution, It's because Jesus is inevitable. He's unavoidable. He's inescapable. He don't look like much right now. As you look at him, as you consider him, you're thinking, big deal. Pilate could look at him and be, okay, really? Why am I even listening to this guy? He's nobody. He's just some poor Jew. What do I care even though inside Pilate knows that all that, oh, that's not true. But, but he was just trying to ignore him. Why do I care? What does it matter? It matters. Because, folks, there'll be a day when he has to stand before him. We, we find another place, he tried to shift the blame. He says, Oh, he's from Galilee? That's Herod's jurisdiction. We'll send him over there to Herod to be judged in Galilee. In other words, he's trying to ignore him. He's trying to push the decision off on somebody else. But every one of you must make a decision for Christ, must answer the question, what will you do with Jesus? Here's the thing. And I want to encourage you parents when it comes to this. You're welcome, by the way, to come talk, ask my kids about when they come to Christ. Um. and I'm sure they're thinking, Dad, don't tell, get somebody to come up to me and ask me that, especially the shy ones. But, but listen, understand what I'm saying. As a parent, one thing I've always determined is, number one, my kids aren't saved because I'm a preacher or because I'm a Christian. I cannot make the decision to come to Christ for any of them. I've never been able to make that decision. Each one of them must make that decision themselves. But one thing I've always purposed and promised to do, Melanie and I both, is that, when somebody comes and, 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 and especially, you know, ask, uh, ask one of our kids, you know, oh, well, well, tell me about when you got saved. Oh, it's okay, I'll tell you. I've had that before. Let the kid answer for themselves. Are they saved? And I, I, understand, uh, I understand nerves and all that. I don't misunderstand me. What I'm just simply trying to say is I've known parents who try to answer for their kids. The pa- parents cannot answer that question. Only you can answer that question. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? See, sin is personal. And so our decision about turning from our sins in Christ is a personal decision. Parents can't make that decision. A priest can't make that decision. That's why. I understand a little bit what people mean when I ask them, do you know Jesus Christ? And they say to me, oh, I've been a Christian my whole life. I understand what people are saying, okay? But you need to understand this. In the truest biblical sense, that's an impossibility. I understand that maybe you were born into a Christian home and raised in church. But you don't become a Christian in the true sense of the word until you make the decision, what are you going to do with Jesus? Until you choose to accept Him and receive Him as your Savior. That's when you become a Christian. Because it's not your parents' or grandparents' decision. It's not a pastor's decision. It's not a priest's decision. Once again, I understand the terminology. I've had people say, uh, I've talked to people and they say, hey, uh, are you saved? And they'll say, yeah, don't you remember, preacher? You saved me. <laughs> Again, I understand that I, I try to hear people out because sometimes what they meant is that I told them how to be saved. I prayed with them. They don't mean that I saved them. They just meant that I prayed with them. But on the other hand, I do remember that does bring that back to, to memory that the story that many of you probably heard with D.L. Moody. Uh, he was walking the streets of Chicago and there was a, there was a drunk that, that just staggered and stumbled up to him on the street and he said, D.L. Moody! I'm one of your converts. And D.L. Moody, he he wasn't the smartest man academically, but he had a lot of wit. And he said, said, you must be one of mine because you're sure not one of the Lord's. (laughs) Nobody can make this decision for you. All right? So people try to shift the decision. Hey, how about this tricky one? Luke 23 verses 14 and 15, it's a famous thing that Pilate said, I find no fault in him. And we know that he goes and he washes his hands. We've We've talked about this in recent weeks. Almost every world religion tips the cap to Jesus Christ. Every world religion tips the cap and says, I find no fault in him. Every religion says, oh, he was, a pro- he was a great prophet. Or he was a great man. Or uh, some of these things. They're tipping the cap. But I'm telling you, a tip of the cap will not do. Only bowing the knee will do. Because he's not merely just a great prophet. He's not merely just a great man. He is God in the flesh. He's the Son of God. And you'll have to bow before him one day. But that's what people do. Oh, no, no, I don't have nothing against Jesus, preacher. I, I don't have to make a decision for Christ. What shall I do with Jesus? You asked me today, preacher. I, I'm not, oh, no, I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to make a real decision. I'm just going to kind of put, you know what? Jesus is great. I mean, I, I think Jesus was a wonderful person. And, and, and boy, I'm glad that he's, uh, you know, meant, meant so much for you. And he's done so much good in the world. That's wonderful. But I'm not going to make a decision on whether or not I'm going to accept Him or reject Him today. But here's the problem. You will, ma- you will absolutely make a decision for Christ. If your decision is to do nothing, that's still your decision. You are making a decision not to accept Him. And when you make a decision not to accept Him, you're making the decision to reject Him. I find no fault in Him. Then why are you having Him crucified? It does no good to to give platitudes and, and compliments to Christ. He doesn't want you to tip your cap. You must bow your knee and your heart before the Lord. Pilate sought to admire Jesus. But folks, that was not nearly enough. Pilate attempted to remain neutral. And that was not enough. Pilate thought that he would be neutral. He thought he would be dismissive of Christ. And that would be the end of it. And then now goes along with the rest of his life. And that's exactly what Pilate attempted to do. But what I want to challenge you on today is the decision that you make for Christ today. This is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Because this decision... Eternity hinges on this decision. So, as we all stand this morning, I'll ask uh, Danny if he would uh, return to the piano. You know why we do this at the end of virtually every service? We call it giving an invitation. What we're really trying to do is give you an opportunity to make a decision. Do you know Christ today? Hey, what will you do with Christ? If you don't know Him, I invite you today to make a decision for Him. What do you mean, preacher? I I, I believe... You you understand. You know God's dealt with your heart. You 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 know you're a sinner and you know you need to be forgiven. What do you do with Jesus today? You humble your heart before Him. You bow before Him and you say, Dear Lord Jesus, I acknowledge you as Lord and Savior. I want you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and life. It's yours. That's the decision I make. Jesus, I want you. You can have my sin. You know, isn't that something? Jesus says, what does Jesus,